Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. Today, I'm talking to Felicia about multiple sclerosis and comfortable clothes and leisurely tricycle rides. I wish I could say that I did this on purpose, but this episode is just conveniently coming out during MS Awareness Month. We also recorded this before the Oscars, uh, the Oscars, so we don't talk at all about some of Blair's incredible red carpet cane, but this is just incidental. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. Hello, and how is your health as a kid? Um, so I've been thinking about a lot on this, listening to the podcast already. I was like expecting <laughs> this question, yeah. but, um, my health as a kid was like, okay, but I did have a couple of like blips of, um, illness kind of, um, I think it was like second or third grade. I had chronic strep throat. I was always out sick with it mm-hmm. and it turned out that one of my friends that I was always hanging out with, playing with, probably sharing food and stuff with, um, had strep throat, but she didn't present any of the symptoms. So she was like a carrier for it, Gotcha. but never got sick. So that's why I was like constantly getting sick. And finally my doctor, my pediatrician told my mom, like, maybe you should have some of her friends tested because she's always getting this like every month. Mm-hmm. And, um, So that cleared up and obviously on antibiotics the whole time, Yeah, all that, all that wonderful stuff, but she got antibiotics, it cleared up and then I wasn't really sick again besides like normal colds and flus when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. And then things kind of didn't get bad again until I was in college and I got mono. Mono is (laughs) always a good one. Everyone's favorite (laughs) subject. It seems like that's a pretty common thread in a lot of these stories is yeah. mono. It's like a yeah. disruptor or something. I don't know. It's like, it like triggers everything or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got mono and then after that I got chronic tonsillitis. I would get that every four months and stuff. And my um, tonsils would swell up so much that they would touch each other. Oh so yeah. It that's made, a good one. Yeah. It was awful. Yeah. And so it made um, swallowing, eating, breathing, like mm-hmm. impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so finally, I was able to get to a doctor that was like, okay, I'll just go ahead and refer you to an ENT. Mm-hmm. Because my primary doctor was like, well, I would like to see this many cases in this many time before I won't get you tonsils removed because people don't like to do it as much anymore. Right. And finally... I saw a different doctor that was on call and he's like, no, I'll just give you a referral to that. Got my tonsils taken out and I stopped getting ill all the time, which was great because I was in college and I was missing a lot of class. Yeah, which is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really hard. And I would just be out like I couldn't go to class. I was so tired. Mm-hmm. And it would be triggered by something like a cold or something simple. Right. It's like it would turn into this huge infection. Yeah. That couldn't really be cured up by antibiotics or mm-hmm. and it's anything. not always just... like because it can be viral too and that's mm-hmm. a whole thing but it's like your immune system <clears throat> isn't bouncing back the way other right. people seem to yeah mm-hmm. so 
and then that cleared up and then again went back to normal colds and flus (laughs) yeah and then probably when like my chronic illness journey I guess really started about I think it was 2013 okay so I'd graduated college I graduated in 2009, got a job, and was still working at the same place. I still work there now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was working crazy hours, like 16-hour days sometimes on my feet. And it would be over, uh, like, swing shifts, so from afternoon to middle of the night. That sounds painful. It was awful. I can't believe I did that sometimes. Yeah. Um. I was like, this is what I got to do. I graduated from school. This is, you know, a good job opportunity. I got to work my way up. Not everybody's job is just going to be nine to five. Right. And also being young, like this is, you can do it in your twenties because that's the time when your body can take the abuse. Right. Exactly. And I started having like these weird symptoms come up. Like my legs would tingle and would feel kind of numb. And I was like, oh, that's probably just because I'm standing so much because most of my job was standing Mm -hmm. and I'd be super tired. But everyone I was working with was crazy tired because we never slept. Right. You know, so I was like, this is just because I'm working so much. Yeah. Didn't really think about it. And then one day I got out of the shower and I was like drying my legs off and I couldn't feel the towel against my legs. And Mm -hmm. I was like, hmm maybe I should go to the doctor for this because it was just sudden. It was just like one leg. And then like a couple days later, it was the second leg. Mm -hmm. It was just like, was it a constant or was it kind of intermittent? Like you were aware of it in that moment, but could you feel it other times, you know? Yeah. So it kind of came and went. The tingling was, um, very intermittent. It didn't matter if I had just woken up and walked to the bathroom, my legs would tingle, or if I had stood all day, they would Mm -hmm. tingle. It was kind of all the time, but also random when it would happen. Yeah. Like hard to track, which I think is one of the things that's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the numbness, that was a little bit more onset, but it kind of gone away, but it kind of hadn't. So I eventually had gone to the doctor and was like, Hey, I'm having these problems with my legs. I think I told my boss about them and she's like, you need to get that checked out because if it's work related, Mm. it needs to be, you know, taken care of or whatever. Right. And so I went to the doctor and he said, well, it could be diabetes. It could be a B12 deficiency. So we'll run some blood tests Mm -hmm. because I have a family history of diabetes and I guess that neuropathy is one of the symptoms of it. Right. Um. So I got blood work done. It all came back fine. He, I went back to the doctor and he said, well, I can send you to a neurologist and you can do a nerve conduction study and see what that shows. So I went to a local neurologist and we did the nerve conduction study, made an appointment with her to explain it all. And she was like, well, you just have neuropathy. I was like, well, I already know that. That's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so she was she was not helpful at all. She was she like was idiopathic like, neuropathy. Idiopathic. Just happening. It's just happening. Your reflexes are a little bit heightened, but that's about it. I was like, well, 
cool. Why did I spend like $1,500 to have this done for you to tell me what I already knew? Right. Yes. You know, fair complaint. (laughs) Yeah. And then I went back to my primary doctor and we discussed options and he's like, you know, if it's kind of going away, because at this time I had started doing massage therapy and acupuncture to help and it was seemed to be helping. Yeah. So he was like, if you, um, if this is helping you, we could spend a ton of money on a bunch of different tests and it still could come back as nothing. I was like, well, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Right. So I just kind of left it and probably went on about two years. Okay. And during that, yeah. Uh So during that time, did anything new happen? I feel like this is what you were just starting to say anyway. So you can just answer. (laughs) During that time, I had a whole slew of weird things happen and I never connected any of them. Yeah. Like I had a period where I would like kind of choke when I was swallowing, Mm -hmm. but it was just kind of like when you swallow wrong and you're like, (laughs) and you know, you catch it, but it'd be like on my own spit. And I'd be like, well, that's, that's weird. And then it stopped. You it's know? like it's sort of familiar and could happen to anybody, but mm-hmm. the circumstances of it were like more right. it kind of. usually wasn't when I was eating or drinking something, right. just kind of like sitting somewhere yeah. <laughs> and it would happen. Or like a leg would twitch out of nowhere. I was like, well, that happens. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, I had double vision for a little while in my left eye Mm -hmm. and I thought it was because I hadn't gotten my eyes checked in a while and I needed a new prescription sure so I got a new prescription and in a couple weeks of wearing my new glasses it went away yeah you know and the eye doctor maybe it was the new prescription Mm -hmm. um and the eye doctor had told me you know if it gets worse go to an ophthalmologist but he took like a picture of the back of my eyeball everything seemed fine the nerves looked okay so he wasn't really concerned and it went away. So then I wasn't concerned about it. Right. <clears throat> and then let's see, 2015, October, I went on a work trip to Wisconsin and it was a long trip. I was doing training so I could bring the training back to my location and implement it. And it was long days of travel. I didn't get back until like early Sunday morning like late Saturday night Mm -hmm. and then I had to go back to work on Tuesday so it really wasn't a lot of time to recover from that really long work week in a different state yeah so and like out of your normal routine yeah and my boss really needed me to start this training so I was like okay I'll just take my extra days off later once it's done and I really started to have problems walking at that point um sort of like at the end of the day or if I got too hot, my leg, my left leg just wouldn't work. It was like, it was, it's muscle weakness. But at the time I didn't know, I would just go to take a step and my body would just kind of lower. Like sink into it. <laughs> like sink into it. And it was like, well, this is, that's strange. And, but it would go away like everything else. So yeah. it wasn't I would every step all the time, mm-hmm. but it was enough was, to notice. Yeah, definitely. I would sit for five minutes and it would be fine. Mm -hmm. But this time I would sit and it wouldn't be fine. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that work week back at work, I was 
like hardly able to walk. And mm-hmm. so I called into work. I was like, I can't come in today. There's something I made up some excuse of like sciatica in my hip. Yeah. Something that you could just, name. Something that I can name that was tangible that didn't make it seem like I was calling out and being flaky. Yeah. Cause I, I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday and Saturdays are pretty brutal mm-hmm. as far as needing everybody there. And so for me to call out on a Saturday, it had to sound like a really big deal. Not right. this weird, Incredible. my leg's not working, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Type of, I have no idea what's going on. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, water. <laughs> Made an appointment on Monday to go to my doctor and he checked me out and he was like, well, this is strange and you're not in any pain. So I'll write you off work for two weeks while we do some testing and investigating and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And he referred me for an MRI of my lower back. The insurance company didn't want an MRI on my lower back. They didn't think it sounded like that's what it was, but they wanted an imaging of my brain. The insurance company did. The insurance company did. I was like, how does my, looking back, I'm like, how was my insurance company smarter than my doctor to think of that? Yeah. Because I guess I should have prefaced this before. My mom has MS as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a family history there and I always presented that, but there's not, that much of a family link of MS. So people Typically. didn't really take it seriously. Okay. Yeah. They were, they like, were like, this is a family history. I'm clearly presenting with neurological issues. Mm-hmm. Nobody really put two and two together at that point. Yeah. <laughs> like, Lots of things maybe, to look at in hindsight, right? Right. It was like, maybe we could have thought about that as an option. Um, So I got the imaging done on my brain. Then he referred me to a neurologist that was about like 20 minutes away. And I'd never heard from that office. And I was getting worried because I was progressively getting worse. I couldn't move my leg as much. Couldn't wiggle my toes. Couldn't. It was getting really hard just to walk around the house. My grandma lent me her walker. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I should have been like, okay, I, I can't walk. I need to make this an emergency. But I was just like, well, I'm not in any pain and the doctors know what they're doing. Yeah. So I'll just follow what they're doing. I had never had any major health issues before. Yeah. So I was not aware that doctors don't know what they're doing a lot of the time when it comes to this kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah. So the neurologist that I was supposed to go to was on like vacation until the end of next month. I was like, I don't have time for that. At least no. I know that I I can't wait that long. And you're like, so, time off work was probably about to end or ending. Uh-huh. It was getting towards the end of the two weeks. My mom was finally like, I'm taking you to the emergency room and we're going to find out what this is. Because it was just getting so much worse. We had gotten the report back of my brain imaging and it said, a whole bunch of words that I don't remember, medical jargon, but it yeah. was a lot of lesions in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. Yeah. So I think that probably concerned her. It right. definitely freaked me out because yeah, I was like, a... what the heck are lesions yeah, it's a on scary my brain? Mm-hmm. And nobody had explained it to us yet at this point. Mm-hmm. 
So we went to the emergency room. They triaged me. They pulled me back into like the pre-ER section to get an IV started and all that stuff. And they're like, yeah, we're definitely going to admit you to the emergency room. Got to the emergency room. They're like, yeah, that's definitely something wrong. This looks like classic multiple sclerosis. We're going to do some more imaging testing and start you on IV uh, steroids to try and calm this inflammation that's going down, which is pretty common treatment for when people are in a flare. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So they did the lumbar puncture, which I was terrified of having that done. And it really wasn't that bad because they gave me morphine through my IV. So when I sat up, I was like, okay, this is fine. Yeah. We can do it. Yeah. Go ahead. Stick it in there. Go ahead. Stick, stick the needle in my back. It's, I can't walk anyway, so I'm not running out of here. Right. <laughs> they admitted me. They started the IV and got more imaging done. And they're like, yeah, this looks a lot like multiple sclerosis. And I was just kind of like, okay. Like, my, I grew up with my mom having it, and she lives a pretty normal life. Mm-hmm. Like, she works, she walks, she runs all the errands. Like, you wouldn't know that something's wrong with her just by looking at her so I was like okay like this is just what's happening but I'll get back to normal life Mm -hmm. and they decided to transfer me to UCSF which is the uh, University of California hospital over here in San Francisco okay and they're like they have a really great MS team we want you to go over there, maybe get some more treatment, and then you would go to physical rehab mm-hmm. a re- facility. So I went to UCSF and had a procedure done called plasmapheresis. Okay. And it's where they like put um, a catheter into your neck, into your, your vein that's here. Mm-hmm. And it's basically kind of like a dialysis where they take your blood out and they spin it and then they replace it. Okay. So what they're trying to do is take out the inflammatory antibodies in your blood system. Okay. And then replacing it with a blood product substitute. Okay. To try and like calm everything down because I think because I had waited so long to get the steroid treatment to begin with, Mm -hmm. my body was just like on fire basically with this. So they were trying... They did the five days of the IV solumedrol. Didn't really do anything as far as my symptoms. The f- I did five days of plasmapheresis. Kind of didn't really do anything. But they also told me sometimes it takes a few months to kind of see anything. It's like, right. well, that's not what I'm looking for. But yeah. I guess I'll- you guys are the experts over here. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And then I went to a physical rehabilitation hospital for four weeks. Wow. So altogether I was in the hospital for six weeks. That's a long time. It is a very long time to just sort of think you're going to the emergency room for something. Emergency room stories are usually sit there for 20 hours and you get released and to then not come home for six weeks. Yeah. It that was would crazy. Be really like jarring and I'm sure counter you're like, I'm going to go here and then I'll go to work on Monday or on whatever day. Mm-hmm. And that's not what happened. It's not what happened at all. 
That's a lot. That would be a lot to process too, because you, I'm sure, it, like you have a lot a- of downtime while you're there, but you're not mm-hmm. actually like you're still there. So it's not mm-hmm. good downtime, maybe. No, definitely, I would not call that good downtime. <laughs> um, and it was when I was at the physical rehab place that it sort of sunk in, like this is going to be something real, not something I'm going to bounce back from. You know, you see all the videos on Facebook of people who are like in these epic car crashes and next year they're like running a marathon. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'm going to go to rehab. Yeah. I'm going to go to rehab. I'm going to get better. I'm going to be back at work by the beginning of the year. That's not how it happened. (laughs) Yeah. That's not what happened at all. And it, that's when it really sunk in that this is serious. It's, your your body's not just going to bounce back like that. I was so weak from laying in a hospital bed for two weeks prior to going to the uh, physical rehab hospital that yeah. it was just like, I don't even know like who I was while I was in that place. Yeah. And I was like a good two hours from home. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, that was isolated. really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was... It was really difficult and it took me a long time to kind of work through all of that. Yeah. You know, there's so much that goes on for you to process. And I'm thinking I'm going to retrain how to walk in four weeks and be good to go. Mm-hmm. And they're there training me how to use a wheelchair. Yeah. And that connection didn't happen maybe for like two weeks. <laughs> right. That that's you know, what like, was going on. That's what was going to be my new reality. Right. Well, and that would be so fast. It sounds like from mm-hmm. really not having difficulty with mobility and them t- telling you, yeah, or as it I, sounds, not telling you, but them expecting that you, your mobility might not recover mm-hmm. or like that they don't expect They're, it to. They expected it to recover, but not a hundred percent. And mm-hmm. they weren't able to obviously tell me what that was going to look like. Sure. So, um, I came home from the hospital like two days for Thanksgiving and my left leg still wouldn't move on its own. Mm-hmm. I had to pick it up and all this stuff. And it was like, maybe the day after Thanksgiving, my legs started to move again, mm-hmm. but it was very flops, floppy, wasn't mm-hmm. controlled at all. And I remember thinking I would have been more ecstatic about it. Mm-hmm. But it was still so not control that I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is going to be a lot longer than I think it's going to be. Right. And then since then, it's just been a journey of physical therapy, different physical therapy places because they don't know necessarily how to treat neurological conditions. Mm-hmm. Most places are used to sports injuries where you get better and right. you move on. Right. Like that's, that's their not- target. Yeah. Or that's their standard of care kind of. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case with a neurological condition like mine. Right. But that physical activity and learning how to strengthen your body, all that sort of stuff is so important Yeah. to be able to go to that. So it was a bit of a struggle to find a place that would care for me how I needed them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially in the area that I live in, anything that's specialized like that is a good two hours away. Right. That would be not very accessible, obviously. No. And 
with me not being able to ride in cars very well. Like it was at a point where like you sit and your legs are like here, but mine, I couldn't even hold them up. They would just kind of fall to the side. Like Mm. I was so weak, you know, Mm. I couldn't even hold my legs like sitting up and I didn't even think that was the thing that your body needed to have certain strength to do. (laughs) Right. You didn't realize that you were using your muscles to do that kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually that came back and movement of my toes came back, but it was so slow and so painful because with that came a lot of muscle spasticity Mm -hmm. because now the nerves are just firing when they want to because they're not getting the signals correctly. Right. And it's just, I still deal with a lot of spasticity, but Mm -hmm. it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. Like it used to just throw me back or throw me forward Mm -hmm. when I try to move at all. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't do that at all anymore. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it'll still tense up and I'll freeze up for a second or two. Yeah. And something that I would imagine is it's like once you have been to a certain level, so like you know what, you know what that kind of a flare can be like as soon as you start mm-hmm. to see any warning signs. For me, one of the things is the like fear. So I don't have mm-hmm. the same type of issue, but it's like, oh shit, if this is happening, this can lead to this can lead to this. And it's like, it takes a lot of mental energy to pull yourself out of that cycle, even if it was just one tiny thing and everything mm-hmm. felt fine afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely had a fear for a long time that I was just going to be in and out of the hospital all the time. I was like, is this my life now? Yeah. Am I just every year going to end up in the hospital at random and experience this all the time? Like, that's what I thought. Yeah. Was going to be. And then um, I started on a medication that helps <clears throat> with the progression of MS. It kind of tries to stop it. Mm-hmm. And through being on that, I'm like, okay, this actually isn't going to happen. And I'm a lot more educated now to see warning signs. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> being like, <clears throat> okay, this is something new. I should probably contact my doctor or this is an old symptom that I had a weird flare up for the day and it's fine now. Mm-hmm. And probably you know, like I- rest too, even just mm-hmm. knowing like, Oh, if this is happening, I have to rest, even if it's not convenient, which Mm -hmm. is hugely difficult. Yeah. I've had to make my life so much different now because I do take a muscle relaxer to help with the spasticity. Mm -hmm. But of course, the side effects of muscle relaxers, they make you drowsy. Right. So I have like a scheduled nap time every day of when I have to take my medication. But if I don't take it, it's the only thing that helps any pain in my body. Mm -hmm. Like any narcotics, Advil, like that's laughable. It doesn't, it's different pain. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, this is how I'm managing the pain that I'm in from these muscles always being so tight. This is just what I have to do now. So I have this like window from two to five that I can't schedule anything. Mm -hmm. And that makes it very hard because that's when like life is happening for people. Totally. But um, like I've got my family kind of trained on it. Like I have to be able to take my medication at this time and it's going to make me drowsy and I need to take a nap. Yeah. That's that's just how it's going to be. You know, this is nap time. Period. 
And it's also kind of a rest time if I've had a long morning or I'm not mm-hmm. feeling well. It's like, oh, I at least get to go lay down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at this scheduled time that everyone is sort of aware of. Yeah. I don't have to cancel on things because I'm you too just, tired. Yeah, you I won't just have, have it built it. in at this point. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm sure that part at least is sounds very wise to know yes. that you need to schedule your rest time. Yeah. And then, okay, I think you mentioned this, but so what happened with work even after that initial hospital admission? So they let me go out on short-term disability, Mm -hmm. which eventually turned into long-term disability, which eventually turned into, well, we can't keep your job open, so we're going to have to let you go. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, like my insurance is through there. I didn't have social security or anything. So I kind of fought back and they created a part-time position for me. It was not doing anything what I was doing before because I was a supervisor before, Mm -hmm. but I was sort of doing back-end paperwork, computer stuff that people didn't have time for Mm -hmm. that I knew how to do because I had this history and knowledge of how everything works so I could do that sort of Mm-hmm. work for them yeah. so you knew how their I still, systems worked mm-hmm. I still work part-time and it's a flexible 24 hours a week I go in for like maybe four hours a week and the rest of it's from at home so I can work it around my different appointments um different <clears throat> yeah different doctor's appointments if I'm feeling well or not feeling well mm-hmm. I, I can work it around that which is um I'm so thankful for yeah. So many people I've I know you've talked about this before of trying to be like, I can be a productive person, but I have I can't come into work and I need to have these flexible hours because I don't know when I'm gonna feel well. Yeah. And I have that, which is like this yeah. rare gold gem in <laughs> <laughs> the chronic illness community, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Like... But it's only because I had worked at the company for since I graduated from right. college in two thousand nine. And they're like, well, you're still a valuable asset to us. So we're willing to, to do yeah. this for you. And you have a ton of institutional knowledge. So mm-hmm. like, it sounds like if you can kind of have a role built for you, mm-hmm. so that is good. God, flexibility. Yes. <laughs> and so it's yeah. part time, but that also still came with insurance. It still came with insurance. Yeah. Insurance is like one of the many things that I am so interested in. And, oh, yeah. Well, there was a point they had sent out an email at, like in like November that said, if you're a part-time employee, we will be canceling your insurance. I was like, what? No. And I freaked out and I made an appointment with the HR person. She was like, okay, we mean going forward, part-time employees won't be eligible for benefits there's a few people across the network that are in your situation for various reasons, whether it's childcare or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be grandfathering you guys, your insurance. I was like, oh my God, I lost like so much sleep for that whole week before yeah. I could talk to her. Yeah, I bet. And I was also, again, listening to your podcast at that time and hearing people talk about this how there's this role and we're told to be productive members of society you have to work and you have to work a lot Mm -hmm. and it's like I'm well enough to work part-time but how am I going to market myself to a company when I have such a specialized Mm -hmm. uh, education in what I know how to do 
how the heck am I going to find another job that's going to give me benefits at part time? My mom was like, well, maybe you could work at Starbucks. <laughs> I was like, I know they give their part-time employees benefits and stuff. It was like, how am I going to work at Starbucks doing all this crazy stuff? And like standing all day, probably. I feel yeah. like, I, I guess like, I don't I know could... what their accommodation policies are like, but their workplace it's... doesn't look accessible. No, I agree. I'm sh- I, I don't know anything about Starbucks employment. They pro- might have tried something if they really wanted to hire me. It's like, I could be a greeter, like a Walmart greeter, yeah. but for Starbucks, like, welcome to Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, we didn't have to worry about any of it. Yeah, that's so fortunate. <clears throat> I get supplemental income from a private, my private long-term disability mm. being part-time. But if I had went full-time, they would consider me not disabled anymore. Mm-hmm. And my policy, if I ever went out because of MS reasons again, it would be considered a pre-existing condition and it wouldn't qualify for the policy. It's like, what? just because I go back to work doesn't mean I'm not disabled anymore with my MS. Like, that's always going to be a disability. Right. But And I think that's a flawed area, obviously. <laughs> I, and like across the board, because that's something that's come up a few times with people that I've talked to here and people that I've talked to online and stuff just in general about the way even public disability works. So I know California is short term, I think is easier to qualify for, but obviously <clears throat> is short term. But with long term disability, most places, part of it is the income cap. So it's kind <laughs> of like what you're saying about part time versus full time. But it's mm-hmm. like cool, well, you qualify for disability, which must mean that you can't work. And so if you find a way to accommodate your own disability and make money, make enough money. Yeah. Like one month, then you're not eligible for this program at all anymore. And it's like, it's, it's really, it's really shit. (laughs) Yeah. Like way to disincentivize people from finding ways to take care of themselves. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. No, it doesn't. In California, you can go on disability for a full year on state disability, mm-hmm. which is pretty long time Yeah, for most people. So that was good. At least during that time, I had the state disability when I was off work full time. And it was basically, it covered what my take home portion was. So yeah. I wasn't really in the deficit or making way less. It's not like unemployment Mm -hmm. it's it's more it's based on what you were making before yeah so I did have that during all this which is very fortunate Mm -hmm. as well yeah in California yeah it's a real mess (laughs) I think it is and and work requirements that they're trying to put in for Medicaid and stuff like that I'm like how people are on Medicaid because they can't work yeah. And now you're going to try and put work requirements on some of this stuff. And like with like, conditions it, that flare with stress often. Mm-hmm. So you're possibly more likely to need treatment if you do that. Yeah. It's. Yeah. <laughs> it's big like where, who, yeah, yeah. It's who's, who's coming up with this and who are they speaking to with what disabilities that. Yeah. Can this works for. Yeah, there was, um, maybe you saw this, somebody who is on Twitter who I want to say it's this guy and he's deaf. Um, and so like he tweets about disability a lot and that is fine. But then some something that he tweeted was like, 
every job could be done by a disabled person. And he was like, I dare you or like I challenge you to name a job that a disabled person couldn't do. And I'm I'm sure that's not the exact phrasing, but his point was mm-hmm. that like every job can be done by somebody with a disability, which I totally agree with, but mm-hmm. not everybody with a disability is able to work within the structure that we have now. And he was like, yeah, totally overlooking that. So I feel like mm-hmm. it's like somebody like that who's like, and he deleted his original tweet because he got a lot of pushback <laughs> and like heard it and was like, mm-hmm. okay, yes, I see what you guys are saying. But it was like, well, it's like, what are you considering a disability at that point, too? Yeah. You know, I think being deaf is a totally different category of disability than not being able to stand or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. that just puts different limitations on what you can do. Mm-hmm. And also, there's like, and within disability, there's a lot of just like when it's something that is intermittent versus when it's something that's permanent, because when it's something that's mm-hmm. permanent, your accommodations are also consistent versus mm-hmm. when you have something intermittent and you're like, I've talked to a couple people where this has come up too. And they're like, well, I've gotten criticism because someone will see me out in the world doing something. And then they'll be like, well, you must not be that sick. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, no, I am that sick, but I don't present as that sick every day. And it's like, you know, the kind of horror stories that you hear about people trying Mm -hmm. to prove that people aren't really disabled when -hmm. it comes to disability claims and stuff. Yeah. Um, Like if you have a wheelchair that you use, but sometimes you don't need it. Like Mm -hmm. many people who have wheelchairs that they sometimes use. Right. Uh, Right. um, I know. (laughs) It's so real. Um, Okay. A different question that I have. Are we, because are we mostly caught up to the present and kind of going through the timeline? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I think so. A different question that I have then is, so you mentioned sure. that before you knew what was going on, that you found massage and acupuncture to be helpful. And mm-hmm. so I was wondering, like, what other kinds of stuff have you tried, whether it's pretty, like, those are both standard alternative stuff or weird mm-hmm. alternative stuff or diet or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. what have you tried? Has anything been helpful? <clears throat> Has anything been absurd? You know, I have kind of tried everything, it yeah. seems like, on some level at this point. Um, the biggest thing, I think, is the disease-modifying therapy drug that I'm on. That's helped tremendously. But mm-hmm. it doesn't help necessarily with my day-to-day symptoms. Mm-hmm. It just stops the progression of MS, mm-hmm. which is huge. Yeah. But it doesn't help me in my day-to-day. Sure. So... Um, I still go for acupuncture and cupping, which is so helpful. Like a few days afterwards, I will wake up and not be in any pain. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what is this life? Is this what a normal <laughs> person feels like? I don't even remember that anymore. Yeah. Um, but it eventually wears off and I can't go every day because that's expensive or yeah. even once a week because that gets costly. Yeah. I did ramp it up for a, a short amount of time where I was going every two weeks because I felt like it would help, but then I would go too long without going in and it would just kind of, I would backslide to where I was before. Mm-hmm. So now I go about every three weeks and that seems to be a good like medium spot for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So that does help. And I thought acupuncture and that kind of stuff was just like not anything to take seriously Mm -hmm. um but my grandma actually started doing it because she was having issues with her back and it she went from being pushed around in a transport chair and I'd have to take her everywhere 
to driving herself again. So I was like, well, maybe there's something to this. Yeah, and who knows? <laughs> maybe there's not, and who knows? I'll try it. If it doesn't work, I don't have to keep going. Yeah. But I did give it, like, a good, like, six-session try to see if it would work, mm-hmm. and it did. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, if this is what's helping me, yeah, I'm going to do it. And eventually I got back to going in, and it, it has helped. Um, it seems like I do yoga. Mm-hmm. The the have you tried yoga yet? <laughs> yeah, well, yoga <laughs> is that a lot of super helpful it, for people. It it is, and it's like it roll your eyes at this idea that this exercise is going to make you feel better mm-hmm. and it's going to change your life and all this stuff. But it kind of does in a weird way. Yeah, well, it's like <laughs> that it, you have to be in your body, and that can be great. Mm-hmm. And the breathing and the meditation that goes along with it is so useful in anything mm-hmm. besides just um, when you're doing your yoga class. Right. So I still do that. I practice at home with YouTube videos. I go to a studio mm-hmm. for quite a while. A friend was coming to my house and doing um, private classes with me. Mm-hmm. That's not happening anymore, but that was really helpful to kind of get into it. Yeah, and to have somebody, like, adjusting your posture and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a friend who also has MS that was doing mm. the teaching me. So she, like, really got it. Yeah. Like, what I could do and what I couldn't do. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else do I do? I exercise using uh, an adult tricycle, which has been, like, hugely freeing and something I didn't realize that I needed. Yeah. Um. Because I'm able to like pedal and all that kind of stuff and I can stand up to hop on the bike. Mm-hmm. So my parents and my boyfriend bought me one for my birthday this year. And I was just like, I'm free. I yeah. can go and do whatever I want. Not really, but that <laughs> it sounds feels great, like though. it. Yeah. It's, it's great. And like the big thing that it was for me is I live next to a bike trail. And when I first came home from the hospital and My dad used to push me down the bike trail and at the end of it, there's a frozen yogurt shop and we'd get frozen yogurt and we go back never in like a thousand years that I think I'm going to be riding a bicycle down this trail. Mm -hmm. It just never even crossed my mind because I just didn't even think that was a possibility. Right. Like you could rule that out for you. Yeah. I just didn't think about it. Mm -hmm. Like how am I going to balance on a bicycle? Right. But I don't have to because this one has three wheels. <laughs> yeah. It takes that one thing out of the equation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is perfect. Mm-hmm. And when I'm riding it, I get to look like a normal person because I'm always the girl in a wheelchair or the girl with a walker with some kind of mobility aid, like what mm-hmm. happened to her. And when I'm on the bike, I'm just the girl on a bike. Yeah. And like that was something that I didn't even like think would be like a positive effect from getting a bicycle. Yeah. Yeah. And that like the whole mental side of using mobility aids, someone I actually Mm -hmm. talked to someone this morning. um, I had a really packed day after my sick day, but she (laughs) had kind of mentioned it like she's needed to use a wheelchair before. But when she doesn't need the wheelchair, she's like, I'm having trouble adjusting to using crutches or a cane because Mm -hmm. I still like find myself resistant to being that person. And Mm -hmm. it's like, We can talk about internalized ableism all we want, but like when it's your own life, Mm -hmm. it's it's a real feeling to be like, you know, it takes energy to decide not to care or it takes energy to like 
notice that everybody is looking at you or whatever's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I can go in the wheelchair and it's, for me, other people stare at me. Mm-hmm. But it's obvious that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm 31, but I look 20. And if I go out with a walker, it's like, oh, what's wrong with her? Mm-hmm. She looks like a, a child. And why is she using this mobility aid that like 80-year-old people have to use? You don't yeah. see young people using, walkers. We associate. using yeah, a walker or a cane. Wheelchairs are maybe a little more common, mm-hmm. but definitely not those other aids. And that's definitely been a mental hurdle to try and get over because – like okay I've gotten used to myself as the girl in the wheelchair and using that knowing how to navigate in the world in a wheelchair opening doors all that kind of stuff all that mm-hmm. how you have to maneuver through public spaces yeah but to do that and go through all of that again on a in a walker is the whole new set of challenges and people staring and Fortunately, I've never really had anybody say something rude to me or be just be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's not going to happen, you know, right. and that's. It takes energy. A, it does take a lot of energy and walking around takes a lot more energy than pushing myself in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, what am I going to do? Can I do it with the walker? Would it be easier for my wheelchair? What's the weather like? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is it raining outside? Mm-hmm. All these all these factors. And so I'm this year is definitely the year of trying to get more comfortable using the walker, maybe getting back to driving and experiencing that whole independence again. Cause I haven't driven in three years. Mm-hmm. So to constantly always have somebody have to take you somewhere and being used to this idea that somebody needs to be with you to yeah. then get that independence back. It's, it feels like I'm 15 again and just got, my driver's license and I'm like I'm free where am I gonna go yeah (laughs) but this time I feel not quite as safe because I would be an easy target for somebody right you know I'm a girl who can't walk very fast who has a walker how am I going to defend myself Mm -hmm. against somebody who wants to try and take advantage of me yeah and that's like a real thing that I'm like I don't want to be a story on the news (laughs) right Right. It makes you feel vulnerable. Yeah. And it's already a crazy world out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's and it's also I feel like like when you were talking about you just don't it's the kind of thing that you never would have thought of before. Mm-hmm. And you're like mentally adjusting, mentally adjusting, mentally adjusting. And that by itself is mm-hmm. a lot of work mm-hmm. on top of just like accepting that this is your body now. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think it's taken me to like maybe six months ago to really sort of settle in. Okay, this is who I am now mm-hmm. with this disease. A lot of people like to say I have a mess, but it doesn't have me, but it has me and I have to figure out who I am with it. Yeah, You know, I have room every single second. I'm reminded that I have this disease in some way, either how my body feels or how I get around mm-hmm. or have to carry things or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. and that's fine I just it has taken me a long time to sort of form who I am again yeah and also another thing that you don't think about is clothing and how close to on you 
differently when you're sitting all the time in bathroom. How are you going to get to the bathroom in this piece of clothing? Mm-hmm. Like I can't wear jeans anymore because they're just so uncomfortable because they just cut into you right where you're sitting. Yeah. But then all that's left are like sweatpants. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't want just sweatpants or uncomfortable jeans that I can't get on and off. Right. You know, it's so even something like that, that you don't think about as clothing, how that shapes what you think of yourself and see of yourself mm-hmm. and how you have to kind of readjust to that. Yeah. Yeah. When you're like, get even, I mean, to me, it's like even getting dressed every day to go somewhere versus mm-hmm. not. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, like, if I had part of my identity tied up in these things about how I look or how I present to the world or what I like to do, you know, like I'm not a big makeup wearer. I look pretty sallow right now, but that's because I was sick <laughs> yesterday. But right. Like, I'm not a big makeup wearer in general, but even that it's like lots of people get joy out of putting on makeup and it's like a way to mm-hmm. express creativity. And I think that's awesome. And when you're mm-hmm. like, I'm not going out into the world anymore to like, it doesn't mean I don't do it, but it just changes the way that you like, if you're putting effort into your appearance and then you don't see anybody mm-hmm. that starts, it just like feels different, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I think clothing yeah. both for, oh, I mean, it's all for comfort, but it's like whether when it's like you're sitting all the time or if you have like sensitive skin, like with people mm-hmm. with fibro and EDS talk about that a lot. They're like, okay, mm-hmm. so my clothing choices are really different because I have to think about my body and my illness first. Like, and in in some ways, I have to think about that too because anything mm-hmm. that's tight on my feet just makes my legs ache. Mm-hmm. So certain socks, certain shoes, I can't wear, and then that's going to dictate the rest of the outfit in yeah. some ways. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I've really had to do this sort of revamp of my wardrobe, figure out things that I can still feel cute in, feel comfortable in, and are still functional for me, and that's been such a quest trying to find especially pants yeah (sighs) (laughs) pants man you know I can get leggings on and off now but for a long time I couldn't you know Mm -hmm. and you can't stand because your leg is immobile right you can't wear like skin tight leggings that's not the option Mm -hmm. so it's like okay well if I can't wear leggings all I can wear are these big baggy sweatpants I just don't feel attractive I don't feel like myself mm-hmm. you know I wasn't putting uh, time into my appearance at all because I was like well I'm sick so I don't have to right and then it finally dawned on me well I'm always going to be sick so what's going to be my excuse for the rest of the my life you right. know I can't just look like this ill person all the time yeah especially when I feel don't good. No, it doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. So to figure out how I can do that and not waste all my energy trying to get ready takes a lot of planning. Like if I know I have to go somewhere on Saturday for something, I have to make sure I've probably showered by Friday and done whatever to my hair and wake up in time to do makeup if I'm going to put makeup on. It's like so much planning. I was like, well, good thing I was a good planner before all this happened because I think about all these steps now. But it's so much 
thought that has to go into it. What's the weather going to be like? Do I need to wear pants? Am I going to be sitting for a long time? Do I need to wear compression stockings? Okay, if I'm wearing compression stockings, I'm not going to be wanting to wear shorts or a dress or something because that's not cute. They don't match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but is the weather permit for pants? And do I want to wear sneakers? Well, if I'm wearing socks, I have to wear sneakers because I'm not going to wear sandals with socks and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just like, it's like a whole nother offshoot of this illness that is like, I didn't even ever think about right. some of these things. And, you know, something simple like standing in the shower to wash shampoo out of your hair. I didn't know that was as freeing as it felt. <laughs> I you know I've recently started doing that again. I still have a shower chair and I use yeah. it all the time. But I recently started showering, standing up to rinse my hair out. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, wow, this feels so normal and so like freeing again. Yeah. And it wasn't anything I ever thought about. Yeah. Yeah. You took it totally for granted. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know it was something to take for granted. Yeah. I, the re like I had really long hair before and I, a year ago I cut off all my hair because I was, I had a really bad flare and it was like, Mm -hmm. my hair was so long and it was getting so matted because my, Mm -hmm. like I had nerve pain in my arms. And so brushing it was really uncomfortable. And I was just like, I cannot do this to myself anymore. Like brushing is hard and showering is hard anyway because like mm-hmm. the heat and the standing and the everything and I was like I need to get rid of yeah. this one obstacle for now um but it's totally like when you get dressed up and like put on makeup and do your hair which I don't have fancy hair options yet still <laughs> but like I'll like and like I'll take pictures or something and you're like holy shit look at me like mm-hmm. I'm, I also I am still Sometimes- this person yeah sometimes I'll put on makeup and when people haven't seen me in makeup in a while they're like oh you look so nice today what did you do you look so great I'm like I just put makeup on you guys like, I like put concealer around that... my eyes yeah it's like it's not that serious but it's so ingrained in everybody to think of well people is this way and sick people is this way that like if I put in a very minimal effort to not look sick everyone like gushes with oh you look so great da, 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 da. and it's like yeah. Okay. <laughs> like I did do that. It took me yeah. a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, okay. Then, oh, the one other thing in the like uh, body maintenance stuff is do you notice anything mm-hmm. with food? Like have you had to change your diet at mm-hmm. all? Do you notice anything that makes a difference? I know for I some people it's life changing. Yeah. And for some people yeah. it's not. It hasn't been life-changing to me yet, and there may come a point where changing my diet is what makes the difference, but I've tracked it with symptoms and eating Mm -hmm. bread versus not eating bread and sort of that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't really make a difference for me. Yeah. So I try and eat healthy, but I also kind of eat what I want. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like you know, one at more some thing. Point, something's got to take. I'm trying yeah. as many things as I can yeah. to try and feel better. Like if I want mac and cheese, I'm going to give myself mac and cheese. And that may change in the future. Yeah. I know <clears throat> you were reading the walls protocol. Right? I was. Yeah. I'm really into so, it because I like like mm-hmm. many parts of the book, but not because I mm-hmm. think that everybody should follow it. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. And 
I've read Wall's Protocol, uh, this book called Eat Dirt, uh, Medical Medium. Like I've read like all these crazy mm-hmm. diet books. Yeah, and I've it, read so it, many they, of them. <laughs> yeah. Because so many people gave them to me like, here, this will help you. Here, this will help you. And it was yeah. when I was first diagnosed, I was like, okay, I'll try it. Yeah. Or I'll read it. And kind of the bottom line that I've gotten from all that sort of stuff is if you eat well, you'll probably feel well. If you eat like crap, you'll probably feel like crap. Yeah. It's sort of what the underlying thing of it and it's sort of, well, how does eating healthy look for you? Yeah. And what works for you? Yeah. So I've done Whole30 before. Yeah. Um, and I do like those recipes and it's pretty straightforward of what you can and can't eat. But mm-hmm. it's also not meant as sort of a forever diet. Yeah. It's more of an elimination diet and right. then you introduce things back in. So you know, kind of go by those guidelines, you know, I think yeah. parts of it are really good of like no processed stuff and no sugars and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's one more set of rules to follow and it can take up so much energy. And when you don't see a difference, it's like, I can, I already have enough like projects to track. Yeah. I think it. you have to like be nice to yourself. Yeah. And for, I think that makes really a bigger difference. It makes a big difference. Like, okay, I didn't eat well for this meal, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I know it more or less doesn't make a huge difference for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it is what it is. I can't take it back. And yeah. I'm still trying my absolute best to recover and still make improvements wherever I can in yeah. whatever way that looks, even if it's just standing in the shower. Yeah, which <laughs> you know? is a big deal. It is a big deal, but it sounds so insignificant and you kind of think about it, you know, but it is, I understand that it's a big deal, but mm-hmm. to some people that's like, you're not doing enough because you haven't changed your diet or that's, that you're exact not thing doing is enough the because you haven't tried hard enough or you haven't willed it away enough. And it's like, are you kidding me? You have this disease and you try and will it away or you try and change it with your diet and mm-hmm. then come back to me. And that is exactly what I find so (laughs) frustrating about, I'd say, like, the whole paleo movement. Because Mm -hmm. I, like, I pretty much do eat that way because I do need to be gluten-free. And, like, I do feel better Mm -hmm. when I eat mostly low-carb. But I don't track. And I, like, because when I track, I start to get into other mental issues. So, like, Mm -hmm. I mostly do eat whole foods, like fruits and vegetables and meat. But... I like I've read a number of books about it. So Wall's Protocol was the most recent one. And I like a lot of that one. I think because mm-hmm. she's a doctor and because she has the disease that she's writing about. So I feel like it's just there's like more in there than a lot of them. But so many paleo books are just like, you know, feel well. Good news. It's all in your control. And if you just eat this way, you'll be better. Why aren't you doing it already? And like, mm-hmm. that's okay, interesting, but, like, that's not it. It's I'm not going to be 100% if I just follow the, all of these rules better. I'm already following enough rules and, like, mm-hmm. the suggestion, like you just said, like, the suggestion that you just have to do more is, like... It's so insulting. It's insulting. Like, how, dare, how dare you say that I am not doing enough to make my life what it used to be, almost? Mm-hmm. And... How dare you think that because 
I have am still using mobility aids and didn't graduate away from those that my life isn't the same and it may be not as fulfilling. Yeah. Like who are you to to make that decision? Yeah. And like there's <laughs> yeah, and tied up in that too is it's like it's such a fine line of like okay, I am working to accept that wherever my body is right now might be where it is forever. And like, I'm going to keep taking care of it and I'm going to keep being gentle with it so that also kind of hopefully that's not true. Hopefully there are some better days in the future. But like, if all you're doing is thinking that now doesn't count because you're not better yet, like that's some pretty heavy self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're just waiting to do things when you're better, then you're going to be waiting a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I have, I finally came to this realization, like, I still get to enjoy things. I still get to, like, this year, one of my best friends is having her first child, which is so exciting. And I just, like, I cried when she told me, mm-hmm. you know, if I had other friends that have had kids during this time, and it's so, it's so happy Mm-hmm. To get to see your friends have kids, you know, mm-hmm. get to go hold them and love on them and give them gifts and see these little humans become yeah. grown up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I have another friend that's getting married this year and I, I'm in her bridal party and, you know, I still get to enjoy all these amazing things about life mm-hmm. and who's to say I can't enjoy them because I have to use a walker or take a wheelchair to go to a concert or a sporting event or something. Yeah. It's like, it it doesn't impact. Yeah. 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 You're like, calm down people. It's, it's fine. (laughs) It's not, It's... it's not your life. Yeah. It's mine. And I get to decide how to enjoy it. Yeah. Bottom line. And if I have to take, a nap every day and don't leave my house only but a couple times a week mm-hmm. for something for maybe a couple hours then that's fine mm-hmm. like that's enough for me and yeah. that's that's nobody else's business really <laughs> yeah I that's so real I like the holidays this year for me were exhausting there was too much mm-hmm. going on which was partly my own choices contributed to that <laughs> But it, like, highlighted for me that – so we moved – I used to live in California, actually, um, and we live in Mm -hmm. Western Massachusetts now in a, like, pretty small town. And I don't leave the house every day by any means. But, like, now that my pace of life is so much slower, I am Mm -hmm. able to go on a walk a lot more. So sometimes I'll leave – some weeks it's like I leave the house almost every day for, like, a half-hour walk around town. Um, And then maybe I'll have, like, one or two – bigger excursions that involve driving somewhere and being out of the house for longer. And like, it's not something that I've done intentionally, but it's just been like a balance that I found that really works. And Mm -hmm. I haven't thought about it very much. And then with the holidays, with having people around and like having to do more stuff, I hit a wall very quickly. I was like, oh, I have actually reached a point in my own life where it doesn't even feel like a limitation anymore. Like I'm Mm -hmm. happy and I'm making choices that feel good and it's working But it's like once you have to translate that to other people's experience of you living like that, it's like, yeah, something gets lost. Yeah. Um, It's just interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's so. It's so kind of like 
mind opening, this whole world of disability, not just with MS, but there's mm-hmm. so many chronic illnesses that I've learned about mm-hmm. through listening to your podcast, through different YouTube vloggers, all that kind of Twitter, yeah. like everywhere. And I'm there's just like, a whole world. there's this whole world of all of these illnesses that I had no idea about. How did I go this long without knowing that some people have like stoma bags or mm-hmm. EDS. I had no idea what EDS was before. Me neither. And, <laughs> you know, uh, like you with your mold allergies and like and how severe those can get and chronic fatigues and like all of these things. Yeah. How do I have no idea? And there's this many people suffering with some kind of disability. How do we only know about like, in the media, you see like blind people, deaf people, like, very rarely. Mm-hmm. Somebody's in a wheelchair. And Usually it's, paralyzed. Like, if paralyzed. Or they're horribly sick and their life is over. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Yeah. And it's usually by people who played by people who don't have those disabilities. Yeah. And it's just like, but there's so many people out there who experienced some sort of disability Mm -hmm. and I had no idea about like any of this. Like (laughs) I was just like astounded that all of this is going on. Mm -hmm. So many people just no idea. Yeah, no, me too. Definitely. And it was like when I started to get much sicker than I ever had been before. And it was like, I was looking for resources and it's like, this is nuts because my, da- my dad died when I was 22. And when my dad died, it was like relatively easy for me to find stories about that experience, you know? So people writing about it and memoirs and essays and all of this stuff. And when I was like, my body is not working and I have no idea why. And my doctor doesn't know why and doesn't seem to think it's a problem. Like, all I want to read is someone else talking about it because that's how I process mm-hmm. stuff. And it was like... There's so many people out there and it's still so hard to find like final, like I'll say published accounts of it. So like movies or books or essays. And I think partly it's because all of these people are like, it's like the only being able to work part time, like we're in this other universe. And so the way that that kind of media gets made isn't right doesn't account for that yeah it's like not accommodating and so twitter is a huge resource like there's a huge chronic illness Mm -hmm. community on instagram and like vloggers i'm not a big video watcher as a person but i know there's like a lot of chronic illness stuff on youtube Mm -hmm. too and so it is great but it's still yeah you're like how could i not have realized how big this is and how many people i probably knew before because even so I've put out 14 episodes. I have, I think, four more recorded right now. And I have one interview tomorrow. And, like, four or five of them are with people that I already knew. And, Mm. like, maybe knew a little bit about it, but not the whole picture at all. Right. And, like, that blows my mind, too. Yeah. And that tells you how hard it is to talk about this stuff. It's hard to talk about. I think social media probably makes it a little bit easier to Mm -hmm. find stuff like that. But like you, I scoured the internet for blogs of people with similar stories, for videos, anything that I could figure out. Mm -hmm. And even with something that's 
more well-known like MS, there's not a lot out there. Right. And I would think with MS, it's like typically more diagnosed when people are a little bit older. So there's probably mm -hmm. not a lot targeted at people in their late 20s, early 30s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's just not a lot. And all the stories that I was finding were people that had to use a wheelchair for a little bit, but then weren't using one anymore. And it's like, but where's my story? And everybody's story is so different that yeah. like, I am my story that I'm looking for, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and luckily through like Twitter and different resources like that, I found people that are maybe more similar to me or just people that understand what's going on. I even go to a local like in-person support group Mm -hmm. here in town and that's been tremendous. Everyone there is much older than I am, Mm -hmm. but they still know like what I'm going through. Some of them have been diagnosed since like the late nineties. Yeah. So they've really have seen like what goes on with this disease. Yeah. So having them as like an in-person resource that I can go to and ask about is so invaluable. But I had no idea that any of this stuff was like going on at all. Right. Right. I know. I like, really. How could I, be, how could I be so clueless to this world? That's not, I, that's not out there. That's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I probably talk about this in a lot of episodes. So you've already heard this rant. But it's like <laughs> there's so many movies about cancer. And they're yeah. like, you, they're literally are not characters with chronic illness anywhere. And yeah. And like not and and not even really in the kind of inspiration porn world. Like I know most of the time when movies that are about a disabled character come out, the disabled community is not kind happy. Kind of ripped it apart. <laughs> yeah. So like okay, there's this one thing happening and it kind of sucks, but like having characters in TV shows or in movies who also are managing whatever like Mm -hmm. any kind of chronic illness and so it's like they're there sometimes and they're not there other times and it can just be a part of it like well we don't know that that happens maybe part of the problem is so many doctors don't take some of these things seriously I think that's a huge part of the problem (laughs) you know so then like people just don't take it seriously you know especially with something maybe like fibromyalgia where it's just this like I hurt everywhere you know how does that how do you translate? We You need like your own language for chronic illness and it mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Mm-mm. No, that's real because <laughs> we use the same words, but they mean different things to people who have not experienced them mm-hmm. for sure. Like I'm always tired. Fatigue. Yeah. I, it's not crippling most days, but it's always kind of a vein of tiredness there. Mm-hmm. And Sometimes my boyfriend's like, but you're always tired. I'm like, what do you want? Like, I have this illness that makes me tired and it's always going to be there. So just get used to me saying I'm tired. Yeah. Sometimes I just need to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Tired is a good one. Or fatigue. Fatigued. Fatigue maybe describes it like a smidge better, but not really. (laughs) But And they also, like, to me, can be different feelings. Like, Mm -hmm. his fatigue doesn't necessarily mean that I want to sleep. Versus like yeah. tired probably means that I want to sleep. Fatigue means that my body's having trouble moving. Yeah. I think to me. But that's part of the problem <laughs> is that probably everyone uses it differently because it's poorly defined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we've covered all of my 
main stuff. Is there anything that's come up for you or that you've been thinking about lately that you wanted to throw in there? It's okay mm. if the answer is no. I don't think so. We kind of covered a lot. Yeah. So like, I guess the big one for me was like reimagining like my body image mm-hmm. and like sort of how I see myself. Mm-hmm. But we kind of covered that with like clothing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And like what feels normal. I think I'm really struck when you were talking about the shower and being like, it felt free to be doing this thing that like mm-hmm. should be normal kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, nice. Or like standing to do the dishes at the sink. Like I never ever thought I would enjoy doing that, but there's a weird enjoyment mm-hmm. out of doing this thing that I didn't do for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like being able to be whatever that looks like and enjoy those moments when they come and also mm-hmm. accept that it's not all the time. It's a hard, it's a hard battle, the like grief for your body, acceptance for your body. And then like each day appreciating the things that work. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in there. <laughs> there's, there's so much in there. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm You're so welcome. glad. Thank you for interviewing me. Hey, <laughs> it's good. I like, I love having these conversations. I know not everybody yeah. would maybe. <laughs> yeah. But like, well, I think it's just fascinating to see the disabled community and how that looks different and what accessibility looks like for everyone. And mm-hmm. Just all these things that you don't think about, you know, something that's like been in the news recently is plastic straws. Right. And people being like, well, I have to use plastic straws. Yeah. It's like, why, why does this group of people have to defend themselves so strongly? Like if they say they need to use a plastic straw, let them use a plastic straw. And everybody else that doesn't need a straw, just let them just use a a metal straw or like just yes the plastic <laughs> straw thing because that was it happened a while ago and then it just came back because yeah. I saw a lot of it yesterday and I was like why is this happening again we don't need to have this conversation again yeah and like, like you know like we're already you know I don't have a problem with straws right you know but swallowing and that sort of stuff can be an issue with MS yeah so maybe someday we'll have an issue with straws yeah you know and it's like if there's a group of people that are advocating for this thing, whatever it is, whether it's straws or ramps or parking or whatever that thing is, if they're speaking up, you they have probably already thought of all the alternatives that they can use. Yeah. The different reasons why metal straws don't work, while silicone straws don't work, why paper straws don't work. And I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. The whole straw thing. Like, why don't we just listen to them? Yeah. Listen, Why does it have to be such a battle? And if you're so worried, then like, and you don't need one, then don't use one. And like, yeah. you can also do advocacy. Sure, it's annoying that a lot of diners give everyone a straw no matter what. So instead of banning straws, we could be like, hey, maybe don't give everyone a straw. You can just ask who needs a straw. Like, there are a lot mm-hmm. of intermediary things that we can do that will reduce straw usage, if that's what you're worried about, without taking away something that a group of people finds very valuable. Like, yeah, it's, I know, that <laughs> it's like the straw thing and then the, like, uh, pre- peeled oranges or like pre-chopped oh, apples yeah, those come like kind of pre, pre-cut pre-cut vegetables yeah. and all that sort of stuff and yeah. people and you're like sure being outrageous it is wasteful. like i already 
but have like... to pay more money to have that done. Yeah. That's already this sort of disabled tax that's been built in. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I need to pay extra money for some chopped up carrots, let me get my damn carrots yeah. or whatever the case is, you know? Yeah. And if you don't need to buy pre-chopped food, then don't buy pre-chopped food. Yeah. Like, it is annoying, I would say. Like, go after the stuff that is not torn apart. Like, when they have bell peppers in plastic, like, full bell peppers in plastic bags. Like, that's wasteful, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing else going on there. So that, like, there are so many other places to start, and also the consumer end of plastics is not the main problem with ocean pollution. Like, yeah. There's so many places that you can jump in here. (laughs) And also people who want to be mad about it just like are happy to tune out anybody else. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was grumpy when I saw straws on Twitter (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we should just believe people, you know? Yeah. And not think of people as just being attention seekers or pill seekers or whatever because it seems like okay how many people actually are like that right oh yeah yeah because yeah how many people are actually like that versus how many people are actually trying to get help and they're not getting it because they're flagged for whatever reason yeah like sorry my dog's over here and she's stuck (laughs) oh she got stuck in the groove because yeah (laughs) yeah i think i see like a tiny little bit of fluff Um, yeah it's a little I don't know if you can see her. Oh, there we go. Oh, what a cutie. Um, yeah, that's totally it. Of like, I just can't, like, things are so much more complicated than that. And to just like flag people as drug seekers and be like, no, they don't deserve help. You're like, okay, if somebody is exclusively an addict and has literally no other problem, that's still a person who needs help. And like, Maybe the ER isn't the best place for that, but then, like, we need other solutions. And if mm-hmm. someone has chronic pain, the ER, because I've had lots of conversations with people like that, too. They're like, my friend or my boyfriend or my family member took me to the ER because they were so worried about how much pain I was in. And I didn't want to go because I knew they wouldn't help me. But, like, mm-hmm. they were worried and didn't know where else to take me because there's nowhere else to go. Right. Right. And that's a whole big other thing (laughs) yeah and you know and just with the big opioid debate and all that sort of stuff and it's like I've listened to so many podcasts about chronic pain Mm -hmm. and chronic um like pill use to try and help with that pain and how they're not I, I don't remember the right terms right now but how it's addiction and needing to use pills for chronic pain are not really connected and all that sort of stuff. It's like people don't know about that. They're just like, you're in pain, you're seeking pills. We're not going to give you any. Yeah. Because this thing has happened and we don't know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then there's people out there who are truly suffering that need the help. Yeah. And like, however that looks. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that, too, with going to the doctor of, like, one of the things that's difficult is, so now, now that I'm out of that bad flare from last year, like, I do still have some pain, but it's not, I don't have any symptoms that are aggressively concerning, but I am, like, I don't leave the house that much. Like, fatigue is Mm -hmm. still an issue, basically. Um, But, like, going to the doctor and saying that you have fatigue is not, like, effective, (laughs) 
basically. Yeah. Like most doctors don't hear that and think that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so I also think that like a thing that happens is if you do experience any pain, when you go to the doctor, the doctors will hear that more than anything else. So if you're like, well, mm-hmm. I have debilitating fatigue and also I have like a skin pain and I have nerve pain. They'll be like, oh, skin pain and nerve pain. We got to fix those. And Mm -hmm. sometimes those are number one. But like to me, they're definitely like much lower down the list because they're not all the time and they're not that severe right now. I don't need pain management Mm -hmm. at this time. But like I still I'm still more likely to get a pain medication than I am to get further like testing or a better referral. And so there's like and then you get punished for getting more pain medication like Mm -hmm. there are so many things. (laughs) (laughs) I know there's so much it's like I'm fortunately I don't deal with a lot of these things but I still feel like I have to advocate for them because Mm -hmm. there's not enough people advocating for these things Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like when you are in a position where it feels okay to use your voice because I was like when I started doing this I was like I'm well enough now that I feel like I can put something out there so I would like to do that and I'm not publishing an episode this week though because of I'm publishing (laughs) like a yeah, because of the last 10 days, I'm in nuts. But I'm publishing like mm-hmm. a five-minute, there will be no episode this week. But, man, it's a lot. Yeah. Thank you for listening to episode 19 of No End in Sight. I have eight more interviews recorded right now, but I haven't decided which one to release next, so you'll just have to wait in suspense. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts to find out when new episodes are released. If these stories are resonating with you, then I'd love to hear your story. I've been talking to a lot of straight cis white women, so I'd particularly love to hear from other perspectives. To learn more, just head to noendinsight.co and click share your story. If you want updates about the show and to read my favorite quotes while I'm working on transcripts, follow me on Twitter at BennisB and check out No End in Sight Pod on Instagram with periods where the spaces should be. And don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's pretty small right now, but I would really love it to become a place where we share resources about building a business while prioritizing our health. And finally... I know this ending gets a little bit repetitive, but soon I'll switch it up again. This podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television. I am slowly working on my winter patterns because it's still winter here in Western Massachusetts, and I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.